Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. For it seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way! I'm right, he's left. Let's talk about it. All right, guys, this is going to be part two of the uh, Federal Reserve and the Rothschild episode. Last week, uh, Ray talked about how the Rothschilds quintessentially just made the banking system of the world that we all now know and quote-unquote love, um, and how they essentially just own the entire world. And I don't know about you guys, but that was absolutely mind opening and eye opening to me if uh you haven't checked that out i definitely would because it was information that i had no idea about and it really opened your eyes to how we live day in and day out and the struggles we all live with that once one family essentially created uh but right now i'm gonna turn it over to ray for part two of his federal reserve episode and hope you guys enjoy his little documentary yeah, so uh, this week I'm going to dive a little bit more into the Rothschilds family to kind of give you more or less uh, focusing on the on America, just because that's where me and Lee live. And next week, I think we should be able to go straight into the creation of the Federal Reserve and talk about that because a lot of people don't realize what the Federal Reserve is. They don't realize that it is neither federal nor a reserve. <laughs> And I just want to make, trying to get that message out that, hey, this banking system we have is kind of bullshit, you know? So, like I said, in case you missed last week's episode, I'd recommend you go check it out so you can kind of get a better idea of what we're going to be talking about this week. And, uh, but just in case, I'll give you a little recap. So, the Rothschilds have been in control of the Western world's money supply for nearly two centuries now, and most people haven't heard of them. This family's business empire encompasses a divide diverse range of business interests including investment banking asset management mergers and acquisitions mining energy mixed farming wineries and charities and so forth so they kind of got their hands in quite a bit of our economy and there's more to that than i'll even get into this episode like there's just a whole vast range that people don't even know about so the rothschilds family are financiers. The family's emergence in the world of high finance started with Mayor Amschel Rothschild, founder of and a moneylender at Frankfurt and in Maine. It was a court factor to the Landgraves of Hess Kessel, which is kind of like stock trading in today's terms. He was an agent of the British government in subsidizing European sovereigns in war against Napoleon. Mayor Amschel Rothschild had five sons that he kind of sent off to open their own branches all over Europe. And he had, like I said, he had five of them. And 
Amschel was his son who succeeded his his bank in Frankfurt in Austria. Solomon founded a branch in Vienna. I'll put that up. So Mayor Amschel Rothschild had five sons. One of them, who he also named Amschel, who succeeded in the Frankfurt establishment. Solomon founded a branch in Vienna, Austria. Nathan founded a branch in London. Carl found a branch in Naples, Italy. And Jacob found a branch in Paris. So he started his own branch in Germany back during the Holy Roman Empire. And he wanted to send his sons out to open banks all over Europe. So that way they could do some like insider trading, basically. Uh, the family, the Rothschild family, dominated was a dominant power in Europe in investment banking and brokerage in the 19th century. Family members held seats in Parliament and in the House of Lords. They became the bar- some barons in London, and they founded the Rothschild National History Museum in, Museum in 1892. By 1815, Nathan Mayer Rothschild controlled the Bank of England and declared famously. I care not what puppet is placed upon the throne of England to rule the empire on which the sun never sets. The man who controls Britain's money supply controls the British empire, and I have controlled the British money supply. And this basically became the motto of the Rothschild family, control the world by controlling the world's money supply. And by the end of the 19th century, the Rothschild's family controlled nearly half the world's wealth. So that kind of gives you an idea of who we're dealing with. <laughs> so to kind of get into like the way they kind of controlled America was really interesting to find out. So in case y'all don't know, Alexander Hamilton was one of our founding fathers and he was a cabinet. He had a cabinet position in George Washington's administration. So he was there from the beginning. And in 1791, the Rothschild family gained control of America's money supply through Alexander Alexander Hamilton. When the family established a central bank in the U.S. named the First Bank of the United States, and which I'm sure a lot of people haven't really heard of. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but like we had three different central banks all together so far. No, I haven't. And go and find out they owned all three of them. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, just absolutely insane. Like. The reach of their power, you know, like not only within the U.S. but the world, they really just, you know, like, like sorry for my language, but they just kind of held the world by their balls. You know, they they really just they had their touch in everything. Yeah, and to think, Mayor Amschel Rothschild was just a, started out as a textile trader in Germany. Yeah, and he was a Jew and couldn't even own land or a farm or anything back then. And they come to control half the world's money supply. <laughs> yeah rags to riches you know exactly so they congress gave the first bank of the united states a 20-year charter so they were only able to operate for 20 years and one thing i found out was interesting was one of hamilton's first jobs after graduating from law school in 1782 was as an aide to robert morris the head of the bank of north america that collapsed in 1785 so he had his hand in banking since the beginning and loved central banking. And Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson argued that the bank violated traditional property laws and that it 
its relevance to the constitutionality authorized powers was weak. And he famously said, and I love this quote, I he said, I believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations will grow. That will grow up around the banks, will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent that their fathers conquered. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. And I, I fucking love that quote because that's exactly what we're dealing with today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's crazy to think, you know, like, you know, we we have these different topics we talk about, you know, it's, you know, the topics I'm interested in and topics you're interested in. We do the political debate every week and, you know, the whole quintessential part of our podcast is, you know, um, I'm that you know, typical leftist Democrat, you're a conservative Republican and we're best friends, but, you know, we both have those underlying libertarian views and somebody <clears throat> like Thomas Jefferson, you know, being a founding father and, you know, being so quintessential to America's history. And, you know, I don't know, it's kind of cool seeing that, you know, somebody that long ago having some of those cool like libertarian view sets of America, you know, it really shows like, you know, mine and your deep love for the libertarian party. You know I mean? It, I, I don't know. It's cool seeing that like go down in history where it's, you know, it's a time in the history that the two party system kind of wasn't there and having that libertarian view, like, you know, still stands true today. And it's kind of what rings home with, you know, the political views that me and you really set home with. Yeah. And what I found interesting is like back then during the founding of this country, he could foresee what's going to happen. Like today, like he said, the banks will deprive the people of all their property until their children wake up homeless on the continent that their fathers conquered. Like <laughs> that doesn't like strike a chord in you because think about it. Like who out there today can afford to buy a house? Like you bought yours right before, like two years before COVID, so you kind of got lucky. But I can't afford a house at my own. I'm renting a house from my wife's grandparents because yeah, I, like who, because who can afford anything because of the banks? Yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of hit at that perfect time to be able to afford one. But you know, like me and my wife talked about getting a bigger house and getting something, you know, because essentially I bought. We bought our house and then, you know, adopted two kids and we kind of filled this house up very quickly and, you know, realizing that, you know, we would benefit from a bigger house and I I can't go buy a bigger house. Like, I, I can't even sell my house at this point. Like, I am so locked in that I'm stuck. Yeah, because, like, you might get lucky and sell it, but now you got to buy at a higher price range. <laughs> yeah, higher and price range, higher interest and it's all that racket of now we're stuck. And if, you know, like, you know, like what he said is they take your things and, you know, your children are homeless off of land or off of a world that your grandfather's conquered. Like, you know, that's kind of how I feel with my own kids now is, you know, I, I ended up getting lucky and I, I kind of got the lucky end of that stick, but like I fear for my children's future and being able to own a house and, 
uh, creating a life for themselves because I know they're not going to have that lucky break that I had. You know, they're not going to have that little sweet couple years of you could get things done. They're they're not going to see that. Yeah, because like you got to think back in the day, the way the world worked is you worked at one, you, you go get a job at a factory, work there for 40 years, retire. And in that 40 years, you save up money, put it aside for your kids. If they want to go to college, give it to them as college fund or give it to them on their wedding day to buy a house for him and for your kid and their spouse. And you can't do that today. No. Like the world's just so fucked. You can't do that today. Like, no, I, I was really trying to raise their retirement age to 70. Now they expect us all yeah, to work seen that. over 70. And that is just absolutely insane to me. Like, uh, you know, I have a lady at my current job. She's in her upper 80s and working her butt off just to make, you know, make ends meet. And that, you know, for you to tell me that if I have, if I do everything right, do everything correct and make every right decision in my life, I have to look forward to working until I'm 70. Like, you know, you look at people in their 70s, like I'm not saying that they're bad off, but. I'm sorry, but if I do all the right things, check all the right boxes, and I still am working at home 70, that's not a life that I'm willing to live. Yeah, even aside from Social Security or anything like that, like if you just put your money in a 401k or a Roth IRA and did that every single paycheck for 40 years, or even 60 years at this point, like you're supposed to be able to live off that, but you can't. No. Like you gotta, no, think, no. Like you gotta think when the Federal Reserve came to be a dollar, like for example, it was the dollar was pegged to the to gold, and you were the way it worked is one ounce of gold was supposed to buy you a nicely tailored suit. That was the plan. So, say they pegged the pegged the gold price to twenty dollars. Twenty dollars was to buy you a nice tailored suit. You know what twenty dollars can buy you now? Not even a tank of fucking gas. But nope. you you take that same ounce of gold. It's probably, it's worth, what, $1,800 now? That'll buy you a nice fucking suit still. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just mind-blowing. It's insane. It's insane how things have changed, the mindset has changed. You know, it's just, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it really makes it seem, why are we all doing this? You know, why are we all signing into this? Right. I was, I, now, out of curiosity, I just want to look up the inflation rate from 1913 to now. <laughs> so, $1 in 1913 at the same purchasing power is $30 today. So, it's over $30.39. So, it is over. Was that 300% inflation rate? Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking mind-blowing. For honestly the same, you know, the the same thing that we get today. It's not like, you know, yes, technology has changed and everything else, but the way of life really hasn't changed that much. Mm -mm. Now, you were supposed to be able to go get a job at Walmart and make enough money to supply you with a wife and two and a half kids and have a nice two-story house with a fenced-in yard yeah. and, a nice, and a nice golden retriever to play with, you know? 
And now it's job at Walmart means that you're going to be on food stamps and can barely make ends meet. Right. And that's like, it's not that we need a welfare state to make the ends meet. It's, I want my dollar to be worth a dollar. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it's just the whole fact of, you know, even people that have college degrees and have these very high paying jobs are still struggling. Yeah, because yeah. just to get off a side tangent on that, too. Back in the day when everybody was like, oh, you need to go to college, get a degree and to make and make a nice living. That used to be true. Like you were supposed to be able to go to college during the during the school year and then get a summer job work over the summer to pay for your next year of college. And now you got to take out. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Because some politician came up to those kids and say, why do you want to work during your college? You should be out having fun. Let, let us subsidize you alone. And yeah. it snowballed from there. <laughs> yeah. And then now, you know, you're going hundreds and thousands of dollars in debt for what? Just to have a somewhat of a manageable wage? To have enough, a nice enough salary to be able to pay your loan back. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. <laughs> it does. Uh, let's see back on topic here so like i said hamilton argued that while the constitution states that while no single state government can create paper currency there's no wording preventing the federal government from doing so so it's a little loophole he loved and in the end george washington signed the bank bill into law on april 25th 19 or sorry 1791 for a 20-year charter in the first five years of operation, the American government borrowed $8.2 million and prices rose 72%. So right from the beginning, they found out the central banks will just fuck you over. Pardon my French. And then Thomas Jefferson had another quote that I loved. It was, I wish it were possible to obtain a single amendment to our Constitution taking from the federal government their power of borrowing. Because that's what it is nowadays. Like Their dollar is not worth a dollar anymore dollar is not tied to gold anymore it's tied to government debt so 20 years later the democratic republican majority in congress voted against renewing the federalist federalist conceived institution and the first national bank of the united states officially closed its doors on march 3rd 19 sorry 1811 when congress refused to renew the charter in 1812 our boy Nathan Mayer Rothschild, son of Mayor Amschel Rothschild, is claimed to be claimed by some historians to have warned that the United States would find itself involved in a most devastating war if the bank's charter were not renewed. End quote. Coincidentally, within five months of the first of the closing of the first bank of the United States, the British declared war, allegedly financing allegedly financed by loans from the Rothschilds. And the British war effort was financed by the Rothschilds. When the war ended in 1815, United States finances were in shambles. And there's your War of 1812. So there's, heading back to our last episode, the Rothschilds fund both sides of every war ever since they came to power. Not only fund both sides of the war, but I mean, quintessentially, they're the catalyst of the war. You know, it's it's you back, you know, you either back me and accept me or I'm going to make your life a living hell. 
pardon my French. Yeah, so we got the War of 1812 because we didn't want a central bank and not to give credence to Hitler again, but like as we talked last episode, the entire world turned against him because he shut down the Rothschilds bank in the, in Germany. Exactly. So, it's just, you know, quintessentially like, you know, kind of, I, I think it was a comment I made last time is, you know, you have the thumb on the eye and that's kind of how the Rothschilds have with the world governments. It's just, they have like, you know, the thumb on the pulse. They know exactly what to do, what to say to make sure that they're going to still make money, but fuck everybody else. Yeah, it's like when back there, Nathan Rothschild's getting his fortune. He had couriers on the battlefield in Waterloo. And as soon as he realized that England was going to win that battle, he ran back to Nathan and was like, hey, tell them England's losing. The economy's going to shambles. So he forced all of them to sell. And as soon as they did, he bought every single stock he can get his hands on. And then news came that England won, and there's his fortune. Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, it's it's crazy. And it's kind of how, like, you know, you look at that in government today, it's in the world today, and, I mean, the Rothschilds even today. It's just, you know, let's play on the layman to make a decision that's going to make us wealthy. Like another example of, the, of them getting their hands and everything. Did you know that the Rothschilds started the Department of Education? I did not. So he, I forget who exactly it was. So I'm going to throw some names and figures out. But so don't quote me on the figures, but the the backing is true. So one of the Rothschilds became the first secretary of the Department of Education when it first was created. And, you know, Rothschilds are freaking well rich as hell. And the Department of Education secretary back then, their salary was $20,000 a year or something like that. And one reporter asked him, they were like, they were like, how much money do you make on everything else? And he's like, oh, millions. And they were like, why do you want to take this position making $20,000 a year? And he was like, because within one generation all these kids know will learn and know exactly what i want them to know so he's brainwashing the generations from here on out and and that's why our education system's gone to shit and our test scores and all of like all the markers of our intelligence has gone to shit since then yeah it's really they they don't teach real education anymore they yeah, want a, they want a populace of factory workers, and they want they want the the younger generation and the upcoming generation to feed into the you know the the category to make themselves money. Yeah, because instead of raising good well-minded individuals were raising people to fund the extracurriculars of the rich. Yeah. Like I'll get into it a little bit later, but like this is a foreshadowing. The Rothschilds controlled JP Morgan. They, he controlled uh, Rockefeller. They controlled the guy that uh, I got his name right down, but I can't remember off the top of my head, but the guy that owned 
the big steel tycoon. He owned them. <laughs> like they owned everything. And he they took over the Department of Education to get them workers to grow their empires. But continuing on here a little bit. So by eight, I don't I think I read this, but I'll read it again. By 1816, Congress passed a bill authorizing a second Rothschild-dominated central bank with another 20-year charter after the War of 1812 concluded. And gave, they gave the Rothschilds control of the American money supply again. In 1832, President Andrew Jackson, that everybody hates for some reason, led a successful effort by Congress to retake control of America's money supply from the Rothschilds by refusing to renew the charter for the Second Bank of America. President Jackson was an advocate of sound monetary policies as outlined in the U.S. Constitution. He opposed the central bank system of issuing currency against debt. Jackson had an investigation done on the Second Bank of the United States, which he said established, quote, beyond question that this great and powerful institution has been actively engaged in attempting to influence the elections of public officers by, by means of its money. Quote. In 1832, Andrew Jackson's re-election slogan was Jackson and no bank. On July 10, 1832, President Jackson vetoed Congress's decision to renew the charter of the Second Bank of the United States. And he, he said... It is not our own citizens only who are to receive the bounty of our government. More than eight millions of the stock of this bank are held by foreigners. Probably the Rothschilds and other family members. It continues, is there no danger to our liberty and independence in a bank that is, it's, that is in its nature has so little to bind to our own country? Controlling our currency, receiving our public money, and holding thousands of our citizens in dependence would be more formidable and dangerous than a military power of the enemy. End quote. And, you know, just kind of piggyback off of what you said is, you know, you don't understand why everybody hates Andrew Jackson. And I think that uh, a lot of that has to do, you know, with like the public school system. And, you know, it's when you talk about Andrew Jackson, you know, they talk about the evil president, the mean president, you know, and, of course, we're learning that if, especially if you know one of the first departments, Department of Education, is ran by the Rothschilds, and his biggest campaign was to end the Rothschilds. Then, of course, we're all going to learn in school that Andrew Jackson was this evil president that did nothing, but he was the mean one. You know, I mean, it's it kind of corresponds with teaching the young generation that you know, let's talk bad about this one guy that tried to stop us. Yeah, and. The- go off of that they're trying to ruin thomas jefferson because he hated the banks like they loved him back in the day but like now they're tearing down his statues calling him racist and because he was a slave owner and then they talk about bad about andrew jackson because he was against the banks and didn't want to renew it and then you know who donald trump had a bust of in his oval office Hmm. andrew jackson and Trump hated the banks. Like, it just it ties, a, when you look into the Rothschilds, it ties a lot of things in, together. It's like, what am I being lied to about? 
Yeah. I get that. Which, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole Trump thing, because I feel like that's going to be a whole episode on its own. <laughs> no but... kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be voting for him for a third time. <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody that just got uh, put into court for rape is currently a candidate for presidency. But, you know, let, let's just move on. Let's talk about I mean, we also had a president on Epstein's Island. I mean, we won't talk about that. Yeah, let's just uh, let's skip over all this. Uh, you know, it's going to be a whole other Con- episode. Continuing but... on. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about banks. <laughs> so, in 1833, President Andrew Jackson instructed his secretaries of the Treasury to cease depositing funds to the bank. Two, refused to, two of them refused to obey, so he hired, he fired them, one after the other, until he got one who did. Roger B. Taney, his former Attorney General, and the future Supreme Court Chief Justice. In 1835, Jackson paid off the final installment of the National Bank, or paid off the national debt. He was the first and only president to ever accomplish this. After a few weeks later, Richard Lawrence tried to shoot Jackson. However, both revolvers failed, and he was arrested and tried, but was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Coincidence. Allegedly, he spoke to several friends that wealthy people in Europe had put him to, up to it and promised to get him released if he was caught. So he closed down the bank, paid off the national debt, and someone with rich friends in Europe tried to kill him and promised to get him out of jail if he did. This, the rabbit trails that lead all together. It's, it's insane. And it was not until 1913 when the Rothschilds would be able to set up their third central bank in America, which was the Federal Reserve. So, getting on to the, what I was getting on earlier about the corporations that was funded and owned by the Rothschilds. It says, in the meantime, beginning in 1875, the Rothschilds, acting through their New York banking partner, Jacob Schiff, at the banking house of Kuhn Loeb and Company, financed John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil Company, Edward H. Harriman's Railroad Empire, and Andrew Carnegie's Steel Empire using Rothschild's money. The Rothschilds also helped New York financer J.P. Morgan and the Drexels and Biddles of Philadelphia establish European branches of their respective banks in exchange for allowing the Rothschilds to control the banking industry in New York and therefore America. And if you know anything about the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve was founded by New York, New York bankers. Yeah. In 1913, the Rothschilds established their last and current central bank in America, the Federal Reserve. This independent bank regulates and controls America's money supply and monetary policies. Even though the Federal Reserve is overseen by a board of governors appointed by the president, the bank's real control still resides within the Rothschilds family. Not even the president can break the Rothschilds family's financial grip and influence on the Federal Reserve. Because there's been many candidates and many presidents try to break down the Federal Reserve, and they've all failed. For example, one of my favorites was uh, Ron Paul. He, he ran on ending the Fed, and they, they shoved him to the side. Even though he was probably quite popular with everybody in the country. Just on that yeah, alone. Man. 
it's the whole fact of, you know, like I said, that, you know, like we talked about a hundred times and especially on the very first episode when we talked about uh, RFK Jr., you know, it's the fact of if you go against the status quo, you're not going to be supported. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a huge issue, you know, the Rothschilds of they go against them, then they're not going to be supported. And then they're going to have to run independent because no party is going to support them. And you know how well an independent party does in this country. That's when was Ross Perot and he didn't get elected. (laughs) Which he was a reason Clinton got into office. The one president on Epstein Island. Anyway, but like, it kind of makes you wonder too, like what was, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I kind of want to look into him. It was Teddy Roosevelt. Because he re- he ended up running third party because the Republican Party kicked him out. And mm-hmm. Woodrow Wilson won, and Woodrow Wilson signed in the Federal Reserve Act. Yeah, it's crazy how, you know, kind of how we talked about our, uh, RFK Jr. And, you know, how, you know, we both kind of, we like his policies. We, you know, not, of course, everything. If you like every presidential candidate candidate's policy, then you probably need to read a little bit more into it. But, you know, it, it stands a lot for if someone speaks independent, that they're not influenced. And, you know, again, in today's time, I really think, you know, you, you get those big changes and those big uh, political vices in it and I kind of think that's what we need yeah I kind of wish I can't remember who said it but there's a quote I love and I wish I can give him credit but it was I think everybody in Paul every politician should wear a jacket with their biggest owners patches on it like NASCAR yeah kind of that's all they essentially are you know it's they really are they're just a spokesperson for some company out there yeah, it's like I hate direct democracy just because it's, it's bound to fail. So, like, we are a republic, and I can't stand when people say our democracy because we're a republic. But, but anyway, hmm. the only flaw I see with it is the money aspect because not everybody in the country could vote on a single policy issue because you'll get some whack job policy and get assigned it a law. But you get all the, you, get a group of people to send in a representative to D.C. And it was supposed to work just like that. You go in, people vote you in, you do your time, come back out, get back to your farm. But nowadays, it's all fucking donor representatives. Like, if we get the money out of... We we limit the ability of who can donate to a politician. And that would fix a lot of our issues, but... we've all found out that nothing like that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's all the way down to who stay government as well. You know, it's, you know, I, for, I forget his exact name, but it was a, a doctor that ran for a uh, Demo- democratic party here. And he, he didn't accept really that lobbying, you know, technique and he wouldn't buy into these big companies. And even though he had a strong following, he wouldn't buy in, you know, and our current Republican viewer or governor is very bought into these big companies that, you know, kind of currently fund him and 
even though this Democratic leader had this great following of people, and me included, I ain't gonna lie, I love the dude to death, but he refused to let these big companies buy him out. And due to that fact, he he lost pretty heavily because he wasn't going to be bought out. He was going to be on his own. Yeah, it's like, I like Bill Lee, our governor. I think he's doing a lot of great things. But like like you said, you're not going to get a real good politician until they stop taking, accepting donor money. And it's like exactly. Ted Cruz, like he was a grassroots candidate. He ran against an establishment Republican and took his seat in the Senate. And he didn't take big donor money at first, and he was great. And then he started taking that donor money in, and now he's gone to shit, too. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, it's my views on Bill Lee. You know, he, he takes that big donor money, he uses their mindset to create laws, and even things that, you know, isn't quintessentially him, you know I mean? It's the whole, you know, I have a real big affinity on trans rights, and, uh, you know, he's passed. He tried to pass some laws in Tennessee that really hurt that community. And, you know, there's even as in the sense of, you know, wearing drag out in public and, you know, he did a play in full drag yeah. in high school. And that is no, something it was, that, you no, know, it was, uh, he was doing powder puff football, which is where you yeah. dra- dress up as a woman, play football. It's all for yeah. fun. And, and then he did a, <laughs> he did a theater campaign where he was like dressed up as a woman in a theater program yeah i, I didn't know and about it, that one yeah but then it's just kind of the whole aspect of you know you take the donor money and there's things that you do in your past or you do that you find is okay but then all of a sudden because this one company tells you it's not okay all of a sudden let's forget about what i've done or what i think is okay and let's you know ride against it yeah I think lobbying is probably the worst thing that's ever happened to our current government situation. Well, it's not really lobbying because if you call your representative in Congress and say, hey, this is my views on this bill, as your, as my representative, I think you should take my opinion into account. That by definition is lobbying. But yeah. it's when you get all these corporate big donor lobbyists that takes a representative out for a nice steak dinner gets him in a limo with all the champagne he wants and goes partying all night and gives him $50,000 and a, hey, 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 don't vote on that. That's the problem. Yeah, it's, and that, we that will get, make you comfortable as long as you go along with our views. Yeah, and that's what I was getting into a minute ago where I was like, what you're supposed to do is the community f- finds a good representative for him, sends him to, sends him to D.C., does his two, three, four terms and comes back home to his farm. That's the way a republic is supposed to work. And it's just the money's ruined it. <laughs> yeah. Shit, I can't. The money's supposed to make the world go around, but no, it does. Reality. It does <laughs> if you're buddy buddy. <laughs> yeah. It does as long as you're okay with the uh every viewpoint or you're okay with signing your name on that check. Yeah, it's like I was talking about before we start recording, if this ever takes off and starting our own companies and buying our own places to run businesses out of and getting our views into the public sphere may get to stop the talking and do action. Exactly. That's, that's what yeah. we need. 
Yeah, stop the talk and do action. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of our viewpoint on everything political and religion and everything. It's no matter on the end of the day, you know, you can have your views, I can have mine, uh, whether that be political, religious, and everything in between. We're neighbors, you know, we're all in it for the same uh, ending. And the issue is when you have those companies that are in it for them, it, it just, it, I don't know, it, it really puts a damper on everything. And, I, you know, I think the Rothschilds is a really good subject is, you know, you look at it as, you know, they they didn't really care about the world for the health of the world, which should be cared about. They only cared about the furtherment of their family and that. Yeah. Whether or not they hurt everybody else, they didn't care. Yeah, exactly. That, that's really their motto is, I don't care who the king who sits on the throne as long as I control their money supply. Exactly. It's a very mercenary mindset. You know, it's, Fuck everyone as long as you're as long as my household is in order, which at one aspect I can respect, but the other aspect is you know, we you know, in a democratic viewpoint is we have to care we we have to worry about the view and the health of everyone else as well. Yeah. And that's probably the one thing I can agree on your party with or your side with is make sure everybody's right and everybody's good. And my size make sure my house is in order. And then from there, work on their neighbor's household and make sure they're set up good. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's very, I don't want it to sound bad or condescending, but it's, you got to make sure you're, you're good first. But these guys took that and ruined the whole idea of it. Exactly. It, I, and that's something I can get behind too, is make sure you're good first. But, Make sure you're good, you know, make sure you're stable and then help the others. Don't make sure you're well off and then help the others. Yeah, because it goes back to the old adage of of relationships. You can't love somebody unless you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the kind of way I see it. And I, I put that principle in everything. Exactly. And I, I mean, I get that. And like I said, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, I kind of struggle with that aspect on the political parties is. You know, yes, we have to worry about everything else, but we also have to worry about ourselves. But I feel like once you worry about yourself, you tend to only stay in that self mentality. Mm-hmm. And see, like there I, has to be that point to branch out. See, like taking it at a big picture, I could, I don't agree with the way the Democratic Party's going nowadays. And we we've agreed on that. Is JFK was probably the last good Democrat, and I can see the Democratic process working on a lower level but once you get it federal you can't you can't worry about everybody else until you worry about your own country first no yeah and that's and, and, and that's, that's like i could see i not this democratic party but i could see the, a good democratic party on local level but once you get the federal their ideas fall apart because now you're dealing with countries not your neighbors and I get that. And like the other issue that I have with like the overall arching of the Republican Party, and I've said this hundred and one times, is the societal or social or cultural needs and rights of individuals 
that is often overlooked by the Republican Party or also shunned upon is something that I cannot sign up for. See, like, I get that. And it makes sense until you think about the federal government was never supposed to be in your day-to-day life. You were never supposed to think about the federal government. They were just put in place as a mediator between the states and other countries. Now, when you get on the lower level, like state level or even lo- even local level, that's when you start worrying about social issues because that's that's what this country was founded on more than anything was this is my state. Tennessee is my state. I'm a Tennessean. I'm not a citizen of the United States of America. I'm a citizen of Tennessee. And that's where my worry is. Now, I'll elect representatives and presidents in the federal government to protect the union of the states. So, like, all the social aspects, all the everything else like that should be gone through your city, your county, your state. That's, that's like, A lot of people's lost that aspect of that's what this country was founded on. Because even back during the Civil War, um, who, who, was, who was the South's general? Grant? Grant, Grant was the Southern general, right? I think so. Because Ulysses, no, no, no. Ulysses S. Grant was no. the Union. Fuck, who was ours? Who was our big general? Anyway, sorry. That's besides the point. Uh, Lincoln wanted him as his main general. And he said, because he was, and he was from Virginia. And he told Lincoln... I respect your offer. I appreciate your offer, but I, but I belong to my state, which was Virginia. Robert E. Lee. Ro- yeah, Robert E. Lee. So, like, even back then, they realized, e- even in the 18th century, they realized, or 19th century, they realized it's not big government. It's state, state. It's to the states. Long story short. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I get it. And that is something that. You know, like I said, if the Republican Party didn't really, you know, like a federal level didn't touch the social needs and social aspects, that's something that I could easily kind of back off of, you know. And, and I think the biggest one of the biggest problems with um, the just politics of the world to begin with is, you know, there there's, you know, with religion on the aspect of it is there's supposed to be that separation of church and state. and Truly, there isn't, you know, and a lot of <clears throat> laws that attack those social needs that I find so true and, you know, dear to my heart is really due to a, you know, going against that separation of church and state. Yeah. And, you know, it's so much so the church is intertwined with the state and beliefs and laws are passed due to the beliefs that are practiced in church and you know if there was a true separation of church and state then i could get behind some of the policies of the republican party and i could get behind some of the policies of every party just due to the fact that without that separation of church and state or with a separate with a true separation of church and state those social aspects that i find so near and dear to my heart wouldn't make sense you know like gay rights and um, trans rights and things like that. You know, a lot, a lot of the uh, 
talking points on it when it's brought up into passing laws about it is church values and beliefs and viewpoints on it. And if you take those viewpoints out, if you take the belief and the overall religious culture out of those laws, then the laws doesn't exist. You know, it's not a, well, I don't think gay people should be married. No, that's not, that doesn't even exist in that point because who tells you that other than your belief system? You know, and I know this is kind of a side tangent, but it is kind of that aspect of if there was that true separation of church and state, I don't think that a two-party system would be so such a great magnitude in this country due to the fact that you have people like me that, you know, I'm a, lib- I, you know, I'm a libertarian-leaning liberal Democrat due to those social beliefs that I so strongly believe in. But the only aspect that you have to commandeer or create laws against these social factors is due to your belief system. And if you had to leave that out of the scenario, then in all reality, there there wouldn't even be a law to talk about. Yeah. And that kind of ties into what I was scared to is the federal government shouldn't have a shouldn't have a say in like gay marriages or trans rights or whatever else you're you're you you put a lot of weight towards that should be a state issue on the fact that uh if you lived in tennessee and tennessee's laws weren't going towards your belief system you were able to just move to another state that did value I mean, your and but I also believe that no state should have a law to correspond with that because no 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 I'll, I'll just use that as an example just yeah. not, not to put any weight behind it just as like if you didn't agree with your state's laws or the way they're running it yeah you're, you're supposed to be able to move to another state that did oh and, and I, I agree and but like i said is i feel like you know if there was that true separation in all aspects of government the way it is supposed to be you know it's the you know i i think that's a big issue with today's government is you know we were founded america was founded as the land of the people you know we we escape england due to beliefs and not wanting to be catholic and we wanted to celebrate you know freedom of religion that that is speaks so highly to me in our constitution you know, there's different people that speak so highly on freedom of speech and your different laws. You know, everybody has your, you know, your right to bear arms. You know, there, there's all the fundamental rights that we have as Americans that we all speak highly on. And I think freedom of religion is one of mine that I speak so highly on. And as a true freedom of religion, if we create laws around a religion on a state level or a, or a federal level, then are we truly standing behind our constitution or are we breaking it on a fundamental level? See, if we actually followed the constitution as it was written, it would work out a lot better because exactly. uh, 100% agree. And the constitution it laid out, this is the federal government's powers. Or I'm sorry, let me rephrase that the way it was actually meant. This is all the government can do. 
nothing else in here you can do. So a lot of those issues, like I'll just bring up Roe v. Wade as example. The reason it got struck down was not because the justice didn't believe in gay era abortions. It was that wasn't a, that wasn't in the Constitution. Nothing in the Constitution gave women the right to have an abortion. So we're going to kick it back to the states because in the Constitution it says if any other any other issue or any other power we did not give to the federal government because we control the federal government is left up to the states. That's why I got kicked back to a state issue because they were taking the Constitution as it was written and applying it to that case and struck it down. Not because they just didn't want women to have abortions. No, and I get that. And I also agree, like... Just as an example, <laughs> I, I don't think, want to get off on an abortion tangent because we've already done that, but... Yeah, no, and I, I agree. And that's something that, you know, it, it's kind of hard for me to swallow because, you know, I agree that we should live, you know, by the Constitution because that really is the law of the land and the law that we all believe in, you know, and that's the how we are supposed to base this, you know, the U.S. government off of. And then also... Of that aspect, on the other hand, is your state government is I think your state government should be the same way. I don't I don't think they should. I think there should be a separation of that church and state again. Like I don't want to beat a dead horse, but see, you know, it's see back back when the states were founded, it kind of didn't matter as much because you would see you'd come off the boat and say, where do I want to go? Like my family, we stayed in New York when we came over. And back before America was even a thing, my family came over and settled in New York. But uh, if we didn't believe the same way or didn't align with the people of New York, they would go to Pennsylvania and see how, see how it was. And if they didn't, they eventually wound up in Michigan, the state of Michigan, for, for a little over 100 years. And then Michigan went to shit, and my family moved to Tennessee. Because they aligned better with Tennessee at that time. At the time, that's the way it was supposed to go. It was you have all these states, and you just pick one you like and move there, because you had the freedom to do so. You weren't stuck on one place because you just didn't have the money to move, or you weren't allowed to leave. It's like you have the freedom to do whatever the hell you want. Go find the people you like and you agree with and you get along with and go there. Yeah. Like, and then for, back like, to the main topic for today like, is, you know, cause for example, I don't think, sorry to interrupt, but I just want, I just wanted to finish this one point because I've been trying to get it out and I kept forgetting it. But now I remember like, for example, I back on the social issues, me and somebody from Washington or Oregon or California, we have nothing in fucking common. And why should their social issues go to a federal level and have to roll over me? We have nothing in common. So that should be kicked to a state issue or even, even further to a local issue, to a county issue or a city issue to be resolved there because they're, what they like, what they don't like, what they need, what they don't need, does not align with somebody from Tennessee or like me. You know what I mean? That's why I think the federal government should just stay out of it and follow the Constitution and do what the Constitution says. This is all you're allowed to fucking do. 
I get that. And then also, like I said, like what I was uh, going for uh, before we had to finish your topic was, you know, back to the main topic of today's discussion is, you know, the Rothschilds and the federal government or the Federal Reserve and how the world works now is you have somebody like me that I would love to pack up my family, pack up all my things and move into those Washington, Oregon, California and go with those people that have those belief systems that I currently hold and hold near and dear to my heart. But due to the way their banking system is set up and then due to the way the world economy is set up, me moving to the other side of the country to be able to abide by my social values is unattainable. Right. And not to say like, I wanted you to pack up and move because, <laughs> uh, like for example, like if you were, like where you live, if like I know where you live, like you're kind of an outcast. But like if you just yeah. moved two cities over, you would be a lot more accepted, and that's the way it should be. You know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. you live in this county or this city, and you're an outcast, you should have all right and be able to move literally two cities over and be where you belong. Yeah, but, that's but, why but I almost the, believe that. But the way the Rothschilds fucked up our banking system you can't even afford to because the house is over there way too fucking expensive <laughs> exactly and i do i you know it's kind of like you know going on that little phrase you said is uh, it's kind of the way you know i don't think we should really be random by a you know even by like a state government you know i think the state government should almost act as of you know a federal level I think when it comes down to like social beliefs and things of that nature, it really needs to be ran on more of a local level. Your state should look out for the state itself like it's its own country. But then your social level should be ran on a local government level, you know, city by city, county by county, because I shouldn't have to move halfway across the country to get my social needs met. I should move two cities over. And I should be able to congregate with everybody that has my same social beliefs without having to force myself to move and uproot my family halfway across the country. Yeah. Like exactly like what you said, your social issues should be like your day to day life should be ran by your mayor and your city council. And then Mm -hmm. your tax dollars and everything or not. Sorry, your tax dollars. Everything above that, the way your cities are run, should be overlooked by your county. And then county to county have those issues met. And then you go up to your state level, it looks over your counties, make sure everybody's in check, make sure the whole state is running like it's supposed to as a country because the way it was founded was Tennessee was its own country. Exactly. And then then I shouldn't be worried about if, you know, I think my wife needs an abortion or if, you know, my son wants to dress in drag, whether or not my state funds that. No, I should worry about if my county is accepting of that. Yeah. Like if my state should be concerned on if your county says no, you should be able to go to uh, go the next county over and be like, hey, can I do this here? Yeah, come on in. Yeah, you want. exactly. The state should have no say so in the social factors of it. And if I don't Your agree with factors, it, which I probably wouldn't agree with it, I'll just stay in my county. <laughs> exactly. It's like we can still be friends. You're 30 minutes away. We can still hang out. 
but I don't agree with it. I don't want to be in your county. Exactly. It's, you know, your, your county should hit your social levels. Your state should hit your overall arching levels of nothing social. It should be more of a government stance to it. Yeah. And then as long as they are in order, then the U.S. government makes sure that the overall every state is in order. Yeah, because like it's a good way to picture it in today's terms is this country was a was the original founding ideas of the European Union. Every country has its own country, and they abide by one. They go under one quote unquote go under one flag, have the same money system, have all this and that, and then you go to the from the European Union to the country. Country has its own things that's going on. It has its own states it has to worry about on the day to day level. And below that, they have provinces within their states that they, and counties within their states that they deal with even closer to home issues. And that's mm-hmm. how we were founded before they even became a thing. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, it would, it would make the world run so much smoother because then you would have somebody like me of, you know, you're more liberal leaning Democrat being able to live 30 minutes away from my conservative Republican best friend. And we can still meet in the middle. We can go have lunch together. We can hang out together. But then I can live somewhere where all my needs are met. You can live somewhere where all your needs are met, but then we're in the same proximity. Yeah. Because again, at the end of the day, no matter what your beliefs are, or what my beliefs are, we still live in the same area. We yeah. still live in the same place. We're still all American. We're both Tennesseans. It's the whole aspect of, you know, just because I believe in something I believe in doesn't mean that I'm not a Tennessean, you know? Yeah. True and true. You know, it's, you know, let, let's look at the stereotypical Tennessean. Even though I'm the liberal leaning Democrat that holds all these true and near beliefs to my heart. You're still a Tennessean. Well, let's also, let's be honest, you know, like, even though I have these liberal democratic views, I'm probably more Tennessean than you. You look at, you know, you look at your stereotypical Tennessean, I'm that dude wearing boots and jeans and a flannel spitting fucking tobacco in a cup, going hunting and fishing every single day, rolling down on back roads with my windows down, blaring 90s country music. Like, I'm your, I am your stereotypical Tennessean. That also believes in gay rights and trans rights and gay marriage and LGBTQ plus communities. And you know what I mean? It's, it's you look at it. It's I, I just want to, I just want to add one thing. Fuck you, motherfucker. We do that. All that shit together. <laughs> you can't be more Tennessee than me. Motherfucker. But I don't hang an American flag in my, in my office. I have a Tennessee flag behind my fucking, behind my head. Hey, Hey buddy, you don't have to worry about it. I got it tattooed on me. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, but you know like, what I'm saying? This is yeah. my this is my home. No. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying it, it that that's the whole aspect of, you know, I think social needs needs to be met on a more of a you know, a small government level, it's, you know, not a state level, on a you know, cultural level cuz you know, I I'm your I, I'm your cornbread fed Tennessean, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm that guy, but then like, you know, if it takes me moving to Nashville to be able to meet get my needs met and you live here then that's what it needs to happen. You know, I, I should be able to live an hour from you and have all my needs met, have all my social needs met. 
but still being able to be a downer at Tennessee and when it comes down to it. Yeah. So, like, I don't want to give away too much of where we live because we don't live anywhere near there, honestly. But, like, Knoxville is becoming its own little Nashville at this point. The way it's growing. Yeah. Like, I'd, it really has. Like, I don't agree with, like I said, a lot of the social issues you do, but I wouldn't mind living in Knoxville. Motherfucker, mm-hmm. it's too damn expensive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like Nashville, for instance, like Nashville, you know, got voted the next Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of somewhere that I would love to lay my roots down in. Like, if I had my choice of anywhere in this country I could live, I'd probably move straight to Portland. And they just, because they hold all those values near and dear to my heart. So, like, Nashville is somewhere that speaks very highly to me because they hold all those near and dear parts of my heart. But then they also hold those true Tennessean values. You know, I was raised around guns. I was raised around hunting. I was raised around fishing. And, you know, like, in all reality, that's one thing that, you know, with the, you know, Democratic Party that I'm not really behind is. One thing to add to that, if you moved to Portland, you'd be a fucking outsider. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't fit into Portland. Exactly. I would be the outcast. They would look at me almost as a Republican. Like you would, I, They I, would like look here. at you the way you look at me. Exactly. And that's my thing. Is I, That's why I think things should be ran, ran on that county level, is just due to the fact of, you know, here I am, a liberal Democrat, but I also, you know, may or may not own firearms. I may or may not know how to shoot since I was the age of five. I may or may not know how to completely skin and, you know, butcher an animal. You know, those are things that I hold near and dear to my heart, but also as a starched liberal Democrat, I'm probably the, I'm the outcast of my own party. And like, I feel like you're the same way, you know, like, you know, from our own past experiences, from people we've met, from family members we have, from my own son, you know, like, you know, with, you may not understand the whole gay rights movement. You may not understand gay marriage. The I, I understand it. I just don't could. agree with it. <laughs> but it's the whole fact of, you know, you have these people that are near and dear to your heart that I feel like you probably lay on that outcast of that Republican Party in that aspect. Yeah. It's like, I don't agree with it at all, but I'll die for your right to do it kind of deal. Exactly. On, and on that's kind of how I, As long as you're not hurting yeah, anybody. And, Ask, you know, that that's all I can ask for. And I think that's where you kind of lay on that outcast of that conservative Republican Party is, you know, you, like you may not agree with it, but on the same aspect of it, you know, that's kind of where we kind of meet in the middle of that re- that Libertarian Party is. You may not agree with it, but damn it, you should have the right to do it. Yeah. As long as you're not hurting anybody and it doesn't affect my life directly. Who am I to, who am I to say another man can't do something? I mean, exactly. It's just quintessentially what I've came down to that I truly believe is just, you know, that's kind of, you know, as I've gotten older, like I said, I have those social values of a liberal Democrat, but, you know, I'm, you know, like I said in the very first episode, I'm a libertarian leaning social or liberal Democrat. Just due to the fact that, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I truly believe in, 
you know, there shouldn't be infringement on social rights. And, you know, we should, you know, I strongly believe in whether or not I believe in it or not, or whether or not I support it or not, you should have the right to be you. Yeah, it's like I said earlier, I don't think someone from California should be telling me what I can and can't do in my own house in Tennessee. Exactly. But I also don't think somebody from... Somebody from Tennessee shouldn't tell somebody in California what they can and can't do in their own house. But then I also believe that somebody in Nashville that lives in their little mansion up on the hill shouldn't tell me what I can and cannot do in my own house. Yeah. Because in our reality that if you live in Memphis to Nashville to Knoxville... That's three different types of people. (laughs) That's three different types of people. That's three different ways of life. That's three completely different belief systems held in all three. Yeah, because if you look at Tennessee, it's three. Like, if anybody's not from here and you look at our flag, we got the three stars in a circle on our flag. That's because the Tennessee River cuts our state into three different places, three different sections. And I will tell you from firsthand experience, somebody from all three of those different sections are completely different from the next. Mm-hmm. Like, we live in the foothills, of, all- foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. We're good old mountain boys, and somebody from Nashville is some good old city boy. <laughs> Exactly. And, and somebody Memphis in Memphis is, is, is own a, rodeo. Exactly. Memphis is, a, we don't claim Memphis. <laughs> we claim <laughs> Elvis Presley and that's it. Yeah. We like him for the namesake. That's, uh, and, and, you know, they make some pretty good barbecue out that way, but that's, that's pretty much it. I'm not a Memphis barbecue kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, barbecue's barbecue to me, man. Like, it, it, you know, like, pardon my French, but it's kind of like sex. Even bad barbecue is still pretty good barbecue. You know what I'm saying? I mean, to an extent. Dude, I can even get behind a Carolina Gold barbecue. Like, let's be honest. Like, I, mean, I can get with it. I mean, you get the Carolina barbecue. That's pretty good. Pretty good fucking barbecue. <laughs> How do we get the barbecue? So Rothschilds. We went from Rothschilds to barbecue, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. Motherfucker, I said another page to go. <laughs> but we, we could right, skip let's get over back on topic. The, I mean, we could skip over that. It's not really a whole lot there. It was just kind of some other things they've done, they've done in the past. So I could, I could brief over it if you want me to. Uh, so, I mean, let me see if I can brief, brief over it without even a viewpoint of it. So... They lobbied a bunch of people against each other. They did some pretty bad shit in order to make themselves wealthy. And that's why the world's fucked. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, it is. (laughs) The Rothschilds family motto right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. Again, though, I, I will die on the hill of, you know, what I said in the very last episode is... Damn, man, wouldn't it be nice to be able to be born into that family and not be born into a trailer-living family? I don't think we'd be the same people. Like, honest to God, I don't want it. I wouldn't want it. I mean, I wouldn't want it. The the money would be nice, but as the old adage goes, it's not the the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is yeah. not money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil, and that's yes. what the Rothschilds was: is the love of 
obtaining money. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like, you know, you look at the root of all evil, I really think it's just desire. Yeah. You know, it's just desire in general. You know, if you desire sex over everything, then you become a pretty evil person. You desire money over everything, you become a pretty evil person. You, you desire pretty much anything. It's you, you become some of the worst people you can meet. And look at our Congress members. How the hell is Nancy Pelosi worth millions and millions of millions of dollars when she makes $200,000 a year? Yeah, I mean, how is... I mean, honestly, how is any government official worth anything more than what they should be allotted? Yeah. And here's, and, one, here's one fact, too. How is Anthony Fauci the, mo- the highest paid government official? He makes more money than the fuck president. Or did. <laughs> yeah. It's like, fucking money, man. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me. You know, it's like, you, come, you, you look at somebody from our aspect of, you know, we're raised on nothing to now, you know, <laughs> we're making the most money we've ever had in our entire life, and it's not even a lot of money, and we're over here like, Bro, this is nice. Like this is, dude. dude I I was. I raised, went out to eat today, and I, I didn't even I went, fucking have to worry about it. I went from living on somebody's couches as a child to getting a uh, government subsidized apartment, l- low income housing, and I thought that was a big jump. And then I went from there to a single wad, and I was like, "Oh shit, we got our own fucking place now." I don't have I don't have neighbors a wall away. And then into my house now, I thought I was high rolling going from a single wide to a double wide. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I get it. I, I was I was born into a single wide household that my grandmother bought. She bought a used single wide, worked four jobs to buy, gave it to my dad because he had a child, which is me. And we lived in that until uh, it essentially just fell apart. You know, you imagine a U single wide that my dad was raised in to I was raised in. You imagine how old and decrepit the house was. Yeah. And then my you had uh, that grandfather pop out window, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> On the very fucking front. <laughs> yeah. Metal siding, you know, the whole, the whole works, you know, oh, it was a pink salmon siding? color. No metal. Dude. Oh, my old single wide that I was raised in had metal siding. Yeah. Dude, and then, the, but I will say, I haven't slept through a storm as good as I did back then. No, that's why I bought a house with a metal roof. That was 100%. I got, no, I got a metal roof, but it ain't the same as metal siding. <laughs> it is true. But no, then, uh, you know, after that, you know, the house was falling apart. It literally took my grandfather dying to give his life insurance to us to be able to have us a nicer single white house that had drywall. And then, you know, I moved out, I, I moved into a single wide cabin, had no water, half the electric worked. And then, you, you know, had, my, you had two half working bathrooms. Yeah. And then I had my, uh, you know, my single family house now that, you know, here I am, you know, again, do not make a lot of money. I, I make what most people would say is still poverty level money. But here I am. I was raised on absolutely nothing. 
to where I am at today. And damn it, I mean, I just sit back and smile. You know, I can go out to eat right now. I can go to Texas Roadhouse and order off their $13 menu and I don't have to worry about it. And damn it, I'm happy. Yeah. Like, it's like, I don't, and, it's like, besides having room to have another kid, I'm happy. Yeah. And it's insane to me. It's, it's crazy to me that we have, you know, the people that run this country so out of touch when you have the people that live in this country, like me and you, that, you know, were raised off nothing. We, quintessentially to them to their viewpoint still have nothing what's mind-blowing too is the people living in poverty like arguably us we're still in poverty but we are still better off than the first rothschild with his Mm -hmm. billions of dollars we have air conditioning (laughs) like they may have had a big mansion but we live more comfortably. Yeah. I'm sitting in the middle of winter when it is 20 degrees outside in a tank top. Yeah. Can you do that? Can Could he do that? No. Why do you think they wore trench coats? Yeah. <laughs> Every fucking wear. You know, it's just, it's just mind-boggling to me on how, to, how out of touch our government is. And I honestly, I think to be a government official, you know, especially on a state level, is if you're on a state level of a government official, I think where true change would happen, and you can agree, you can disagree, just hear me out, I think you should have to live a week at your lowest income household in your state. I want to, I agree, but I want to counter. Their salary should be the average income of your state and you cannot make any money outside of the government to pay a salary. No stock, oh, do no stock I, trading, no donations. You can't pull money out of your charity foundation, Clinton. And that's all you should be able to have. No book sales, nothing. I do agree. And I mean, that's something like I, I follow this guy on TikTok. He owns a septic company and his biggest motto is he owns a septic company. He owns this massive septic company where they go and pump septics and they install septics. And, you know, he, he has the ability to be very financially well off. Mm -hmm. Right. But his motto is he, his salary is the exact same salary as his lowest paying employee. Yeah. So his lowest employee, paying employee, uh, paid employee, he makes their salary. So if he wants a raise, you know what, he has to give everybody else a raise. Exactly. And what's so nice about that is he pays everybody a living wage. If you're a just a handyman that works for him or the assistant that works for him, he wants to hire somebody that comes in and just does one or two days of worth of work and makes X amount of dollars, makes $10 an hour. Well, guess what? Now he makes $10 an hour. Yeah. And due to this fact, he has some of the best workforce that honestly and arguably this country has ever seen because he pays his employees a living wage. And I think honestly, if you know, if you had the average income of your average citizen of your state as your salary, but then also the second you're sworn in, you spend a week at the lowest income in your state. 
dude, you, you, they would not be the issues that we run rapid with today. Yeah, it's like it was mind blowing to find out when I was younger. There's something called a governor's mansion down the road from where I live. Why the fuck does a governor have a mansion? Mm-hmm. You're a governor of a state. You're not the president. And it's the same aspect of like, you know, where we both work today. You know, you, you follow the supply chain up and you follow that food chain up or the quintessential just corporate America chain up. And, you know, you have people that, you know, work in the same building that I work in that make triple to quadruple the money that I make. And you hear them complain about, you know, bills and things like that. And you're sitting over here wondering why they're lobbying against us not getting raises and everybody not getting the money that they deserve. And you're over here saying, you know, they're complaining about bills they're having to pay. And you just kind of look at them with that same facet of, okay, well, do you know how it is to live off what I make? Yeah. Do you? Because if you did, you would actually lobby to make sure that we were all taken care of. And that, that kind of goes back to that, you know, kind of the democratic values that you said that you hold on to as making sure your house is in order. Yes, you can make sure your house is in order, but if the people that are surrounding these houses are in order and yours is so far well in order, why are you still worrying about your house? See, that this is where I would counter to is prime example of this shouldn't be a federal issue the federal government shouldn't be able to come in and say hey you corporation in that state have to pay this person x amount of dollars because they don't know who the fuck we are they don't know what we need but at the same time if you took that mindset and applied it to your city or even your county you can lobby you you as a citizen can lobby your city or your state or your county say we don't want that corporation in our county because they treat their employees like shit and, no, that, and i agree that, that, and, I, and I also that could be an effective grassroots movement to get these corporations in order because yeah, and I, I also agree like because me being a free market capitalist the government shouldn't tell a, co- a company how to run their company because they don't have the right to in my opinion if you, the people, if the workers, I'm like, I'm not pro union or anything, but the workers can say, we're not working for you for that amount. Pay me what I'm worth. Negotiate your wages. I mean, nowadays you can't, but if enough people signed on to it and made a movement against it, these CEOs don't realize that they're not the backbone of this, of that company. It's the workers. Like, I don't fall into the socialist communist idea of season means of production, <laughs> but you are still the backbone of that, co- of that company. You can make a change in your company. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, it's the same aspect, you know, like you said, but, you know, looking at the, like, fundamental local government level is, I think that a state minimum wage is also a terrible idea you know because i don't know i don't state agree. i don't agree with the yeah. minimum wage i think minimum wage should be abolished yeah. yeah because if you if you sit there and see your state states that there's a minimum wage like tennessee is 725 mm-hmm. right 725 is our minimum wage then you're allowing these businesses to say well that's the minimum 
And that's what they're going to go with because that's what's going to put more money in their pocket. You know, I think it should be an abolished system. And I think that local governments should be ran on that because I'm sorry, but, you know, not to give too much out, but the city I work in versus the city you work in. Next door, but they're completely different. (laughs) Who should make more money? The city I work in should make a hundred times more money than the city you work in. Because guess what? We make a lot more. But let me counter. You're a tourist trap. We at my city actually produces stuff. Oh, no. Yeah, but we still also produce stuff. We have factories to and from. Yeah, but we have a whole lot more. <laughs> like, because we're not a tourist trap. We don't, we can't make our economy run off of t-shirt sales. Our economy has to be, motherfucker, throw a factory up, produce something, or we're going to go broke. Cause, I mean, that's also, I mean, I get that, but then also there is... See, like, I, I, here, here, the only thing I agree with on the minimum wage, is, which is also an attack against it, you're paid what you're worth. If you come in and you only produce $3 an hour worth of production to my company that's all I'm, i should have to pay you but since the federal government since the state government says i have to pay you 725 you're paid double what you're worth already like if all you do is type on a cat on a cash register and bag and bag stuff or put in food orders that's only worth about three dollars to me in written before this whole inflation thing but so it would help me grow my company more if I could pay you what you're worth instead of having to do double or even triple my overhead because of a minimum wage. And, I mean, I get the, that. and one way we can also get rid of that aspect of how that's not going to work today in real life is all these big, huge corporations, Walmart, Amazon, they wouldn't survive without the federal government. They're propped up by the federal government and back to our show's topic, the Rothschilds. But you get all this big money into federal government, they're allowing these companies to be a thing because of the regulations forcing the little guy out. Exactly. And it's, you know, small businesses doesn't matter. You have, you know, I I really think that... Like, the small businesses are 70% of our economy, but where do you go shop? Mm-hmm. Walmart, Amazon, eBay. Well, not eBay, but Walmart and Amazon. If I look at yeah, anybody's yeah. bank records, it's either Walmart or Amazon or a big national chain gas station. Exactly. That's probably got their hands in Walmart or Amazon. Yeah. They're all owned by the same yeah. people. They're all owned by BlackRock. They're all owned by Vanguard or State Street. They're They're all tied together. Yeah, I mean, the Waltons... You know, for Walmart, they own almost everything. You know, it's the sister of Sam Walton branched off and made Lowe's. Yeah. Technically, Lowe's is owned by Waltons. Yeah, and who owns Waltons? BlackRock. Vanguard. Yeah. And who owns BlackRock? Yeah. Vanguard. And who owns Vanguard? BlackRock. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's a giant racket. And it wouldn't know, survive if we lived off of the way the country was founded. That's mm-hmm. where your state, your city issues mean more is when you don't have these big corporations. Exactly. And uh, I think that's, you know, quintessentially kind of, 
getting back to that Rothschild movement is the Rothschilds went against the city values when the city values honestly would get this country back to where it needs to be. Yeah. Like I shouldn't have to worry about what goes on in Memphis. Granted they're in my state, but I'm on the complete other side. (laughs) Yeah. I shouldn't have to worry about, you know, what their taxes are or what their social views are because that has nothing to do with me. That's a 12 hour drive for me. Yeah. If you're in Memphis and you're worried about gangs running the streets, motherfucker, I live in the boonies. I don't have, I don't have no idea what you live through. I cannot, yeah. I cannot input on your issues because I yeah. live in the sticks. I don't live in, exactly. I, don't, I don't live in a concrete jungle. Exactly. I I don't worry about the gangs running my streets. I worry about turning onto a back road and a fucking horse being on my road. Yeah. Like I you know how I don't see any gangs where I live. I I have to dodge deer. <laughs> yeah. Like I have to worry about the wild animal that's going to come across my road or the drunk guy that, you know, on his way home from the fucking bar. I don't have to worry about some guy that's selling drugs to another guy and now there's a shootout. Yeah. Like if somebody, like, I don't have to look, I don't have, like I have cameras all over my house. I have security systems all in my house. I don't buy that for robbers. I mean, I do, but I don't, I don't worry about robbers. If I hear something going on out outside, I'll say, damn, there's a raccoon in my trash. Let's go kill yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I have the same aspect. And it's just insane to me that, you know, like, you know, we kind of started this topic on the Rothschilds running the U.S. government, but then we branched off and into state government and how the state should run it. But then really quintessentially, we pulled it down real quick to who's my mayor again? Should be, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And why are they, you know, why is Governor Lee passing laws that's going to affect me that he doesn't even live where I live? I don't think before he became governor, he went anywhere near East Tennessee or West Tennessee. He was born and raised in fucking Nashville or surrounding Mm -hmm. cities. Well, let's talk about the governor before Haslam, right? I actually know nothing about him. Okay, so the huge topic. I, I, I love this topic. So, all right. So, pilot. The huge, you know, big corporation pilot file flying J. And if you're not from Tennessee, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. It's a huge gas station chain, kind of like Circle K or um, 7-Eleven. Any other, yeah, any other big chain that you have uh, that was very local to us, right? So every single corner of every single road, what kind of gas station was it? That was a pilot. Pilot, right? Uh, they had, they had, they had pi- two right across the street from each other. Exactly right. They, they they were everywhere. It was every every major gas station that there was was pilot. Okay, so let's really talk about governor's reaches, right? Mm-hmm. Where's your local pilot at now? It is now a Casey's. It's now Casey's, right? They sold out. Mm-hmm. So pilot sold out to Casey's. They they quintessentially almost don't exist now. They 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 have, they have a they few have, standing here. They there. have flying J's for the truck stops, and that's it. And pilots for the truck exactly. stops. That's where they stop. They only have truck stops now, right? Now, right? They don't have your local convenience stores. They they don't have any of that, correct? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about how governors and politicians shouldn't lead into their own corporations, they shouldn't feed their own pockets, right? Mm-hmm. 
Do you know who owns Pilot? I do not. Bill Haslam's brother. Oh, nice. The Haslam family owns Pilot. Right? So everybody other than Bill Haslam and the Haslam family owns Pilot. They run Pilot. They do everything with Pilot. Well, then Bill Haslam decides that he's not going to be governor anymore. And he gets voted out to Governor Bill Lee. Correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Immediately what follows. Pilot disappears. So, you know, we talk about some of these hot topics that we're going to, we talk about in this podcast as conspiracy theories. What kind of sketchy shit did Pilot do? Yeah. What, what kind of laws did they break? That the second that one, the, the governor of Tennessee does not have his hands in the laws and regulations of Tennessee that this company quintessentially pulls all funding and goes essentially just sells out and cuts their losses and runs See, I, is due to the fact that the owner's brother is no longer the governor of the state. See, I don't know a whole lot about this topic. All only thing I knew is they sold out because the gas price is too high. It was the official story. Official story, but it so happens to be the second that the brother of the owner is no longer the governor, that now all of a sudden the gas prices is too high, so we're going to sell out. No, you were cutting corners somewhere. You were state funded doing something that you shouldn't be doing, but now that you don't have the ability to do those things, you can no longer run as a company. Right. Hell, we can take this to a national level, too. What the fuck was Hunter Biden doing running an energy company in Ukraine while his dad was vice president? I mean, there's not, a ton not, of not, it, not, to, not to have a contradicting topic. I just like, this is a serious issue. Like, he was running a gas company or an or energy company in Ukraine. He knows nothing about Ukraine. He knows nothing about energy. And as soon as his dad is no longer vice president, he's back home. And now that dad's president now, We are funding Ukraine. I mean, I get it. And it's the whole aspect of, you know, I brought this topic up with you is, you know, you essentially as a public or a politician, you cannot own a business, correct? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times that when a politician rises to power or gets voted into office, their company that they have created gets signed off onto a relative son, daughter, Something it gets out of their name very quickly, right? Yeah, like the Trump Corporation is now owned by his fan, by I think one of his sons because he's president. Exactly, he's president. He can't own it anymore. And so, what I loved was the fact of so Trump's big thing that people supported like crazy, and you know we don't have to get in this argument because we're already at an hour and thirty. But you know, I just kind of want to bring up is. Trump's big thing that a lot of people loved, and I know I heard countless, countless times, was he took like the lowest amount of salary that you could physically take. No, he, right? he donated his salary. He didn't, he didn't take it. Donated his salary. But he also spent a ton on vacation because you have like a vacation fund, right? Mm, which every president Anytime has. He stayed, yeah. And he stayed only at Trump Towers. Which then quintessentially refed his corporation that 
I'm sorry. Like, I don't care what politician, Democratic or Republican is. When you rise to a political power and you sign your quote unquote company over to your family member, you still own the fucking company. Like, let's be I, honest. I agree to an extent, but if I owned hotels and resorts and I was a politician, I'd rather stay at my own place. I know, I know exactly what kind of service I'm going to get even before I was president. You know, or a politician. I mean, I get it, but I mean, also, if you're going to feed the government money into your own own corporation, then you donating your entire salary, but then spending this giant government vacation fund and all these funds in your own resorts, and then refunding your own personal adventure capitals back to yourself whilst donating your salary. You're not donating your fucking salary. You're just feeding it somewhere else. You're you're donating it to be good on paper, but then you're feeding your fucking corporation with a whole other fucking aspect of money that people don't actually realize. Yeah. And, not- and like like I said, we don't have to get back into we don't have to get into it. We you know, that's just something I want to say because that's just something that like it kind of bothers me. You know, it's the whole it's almost like a clickbait title. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I'm going to say this thing to gain viewers and gain these lower middle class or these poverty level viewers. Guys, I don't need this money. I just want to do this for the good. I'm going to donate this money. But also, I'm going to fund millions of dollars into my own fucking corporations because guess what? Fuck it, right? Because I can do this off books. See it. In order to make it seem okay. Yeah. And not to dodge the topic because. Like I said, but I don't, I don't know a whole lot about that story, and I honestly want to look into it. But what the fuck is the president's having so much vacation time for? You're supposed exactly. to, you're supposed to be running and, a country. Like Biden has been on vacation more than he's been in office. Like if you look at his time clock, it, the if you look at his time punches, this motherfucker's been on vacation more than he's been in the fucking White House. Well, and that's also like with Trump. Trump was the same way. Is like, and so was Obama too. So, <laughs> like, it's it's, yeah, it's a it's you, a every president issue. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you know when you look at Trump, like you know he essentially stayed at Trump Towers and he stayed in these you know hotels that he owned and these resorts that he owned. He doesn't get to stay there for free because he doesn't own it, and they cannot technically donate the room, so he has to pay for it. I mean, honestly, I mean they probably didn't charge him. I don't know his books. I can't. I can't say for certain, but I wouldn't imagine that they charged him for a room in his own tower. I'm, I'm it's sure. I'm sure not his tower. I'm no, but I'm sure he owns part of that building as his personal residence. Because it's like Trump Tower in New York, his house was in Trump Tower. That that floor was entirely his his own residence. Yeah, but you also cannot stay in your own house as a. Biden. Like in a form of elective. Biden does. Like, I mean, he does, but he like, like it's when the he, same when he, like aspect when he vacations to Delaware, he stays at his house. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's just like the whole aspect of like going on golf courses owned by your family. You know what I'm saying? It's just the whole like, like I don't know. It, it, to me, it's just it, it's just mind blowing to me. Like you, like you said, like with every U.S. president, every these elected officials, like. They're literally on vacation 99.9% of their fucking time. Yeah. They show up, do a press conference, stir the shit, and then immediately go back to vacation. Yeah. 
That's a job I wish I had. Yeah, no kidding. I wish I didn't have to fucking work 90 fucking hours a week just to save up one fucking week that I can take my family to a shitty ass beach and be like, guys, we made it. Like, what the fuck? No. Right. Like, it's like, I'm like, we're taking, like, you're taking vacation. I'm taking vacation soon. Or, and we're both going to Florida. How many people staying with you? How many different families? I have 13. I, 13 different people. Yeah, I have. I have six families going with me. Like, it's all my family, but like six different households to afford a a beach house in Florida. Yeah, I think I have. I think I have about six as well. Yeah, just to afford that $4,000 a week beach house because you don't want to stay in a Motel 6 and get bed bugs. For one week after we work our asses off all year, when the president of the United States uh, should be worried about, you know, every president, every party should be worrying about the state of the country. Nah, they're cool. They'll be on vacation every week. Yeah, pass that along to my secretary. (laughs) I'll deal with it when I get back. (laughs) And again, it's like to the Rothschilds. That's the government. That's the world that we have created. It's like that shit going down in Texas and possibly Civil War 2.0 going on. They let. Electric Boogaloo, it's about to happen. Like, I like, lo- I have a love hate relationship with Texas with Texas governor. But you know he's doing all that provocateuring from India. What the fuck is a tech governor of Texas doing in India? Yeah, <laughs> like, and then that's also like it scares me too because you know, like I was talking to my son about this today. Is you know you have Russia that wants. Alaska back you know they're they're desperately like all of a sudden want the need for Alaska they feel like they are owed Alaska right I mean, so they've, they've always wanted Alaska back ever since we found oil to be yeah. to be fair but <laughs> but like now that's like they're actually talking about it you know yeah and there's like the rumor mill happening of you know they're talking about taking Alaska back by force and what scares me about the whole <laughs> you know Texas thing is if we're going to put arms up in our own country, right? Mm-hmm. When's the perfect time to evade the country? Well, we're fighting each other while our brain dead president's eating ice cream cone on his beachfront property in Delaware. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous to me. You know, if we're going to fight each other, you know, the entire. 90%, you know, 80% of the U.S. against Texas, and, you know, we're putting all of our forces to Texas, and Texas is putting all of its time and energy into fighting the U.S., and then all of a sudden, here's Alaska up here that's just now, you know, you know, trying to get claimed by fucking Russia that's, you know, not in part of the continental U.S. Like, how long is it going to take us to get fucking people up there to defend Alaska if shit goes south? Yeah. It's like, I don't want to get too deep into Texas right now because I think that would be a great topic for this week's debate. Just the whole aspect of it would be a great topic because we can we could do an hour and a half, two hours on Texas alone right now, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy. I think it's kind of where we'll end it. Yeah. I mean, hour and 42 talked about the Rothschilds for 20 of it, you know. No, so. we talked about it about an hour. <laughs> but like it, it's a great topic to lead into other things that's that's why i want to do the rothschilds first is because all of our issues can lead back to it 
I don't know who controls yeah, our money really supply. Yeah, it does. I mean, quintessentially, I mean, any, anywhere from the social factors to the taking care of your own factors of you and, you know, all, I mean, downright, the just like, you know, the entire mentality of the U.S., of the two-party system, the uh, mentalities of everything and all the beliefs is quintessentially just boils down to Rothschilds. You can really boil down every single topic yeah. to the Rothschilds. Like what? Like whether you believe they're evil or not, or you think this whole conspiracy theory is bullshit, it's pretty fucking convincing. It is. Like just looking at the face of it, it's pretty believable. Like you know, and just to, in case you're getting this far, I just want to say I'm not suicidal. I I love my life. I don't want to die. So if I I commit suicide, no, I didn't. Just throw that out there. Ditto. <laughs> I do not have information that will lead to the arrest of the Clintons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as much as I hate Trump, I, I, I don't wish any harm upon the guy. You know, just stay away. You know, stay up in your fucking tower. Don't come down to fucking Tennessee, my dude. Uh, he's, uh, he, can, he can stay in my office. <laughs> I mean, yeah, go ahead, damn. <laughs> damn, we're part of the, you know, it can be that city's issue. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I wish, you know, it's kind of I, I, I off, wish you know. a long life. I mean, honest to God, like, I know that was, that sounded bad, and I know that could be taken as threatening the president, which I wasn't. I actually believe, I actually wish he has a long, prosperous life. I hate, I hate him as president, but I don't want to see the guy dead. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, like, you know, and I think this is something that we can both get behind is, you know. I don't want to take down the ship because of the captain. Exactly. It's the whole aspect of whether I believe in him or not that's still my president. Yeah. The biggest campaign I hated with uh, Trump in office, even though I I didn't like the guy, I didn't like anything he believed in. uh, Quintessentially, you know, we've discussed this 101 times in personal aspects of life that I didn't like the guy. He was still my president. Yeah. Whether you like, I ever met the guy in person, whether, you know, if I ever met the guy in person, I'm not going to sit there and scream in his face. I'm going to tell you, you know, hi, Mr. President. It's nice to meet you. And hope he'd say the same to me. And I think that quintessentially is you're right as a president. You should. So, but, uh, kind of sign off, you know, same as I say every week, be good or be good at it. And if you ever need anything, you ever need talk, you ever need help, you know, DMs are open. Help is out there. You're not in this alone. Same, same. All right. Good night, guys. We will see you Wednesday. Uh, this episode will be airing on Monday as long as uh, Ray gets his all edited in time. Uh <laughs> But we will see you next time on Wednesday for our political debate of the week. And then again on Friday for my topic. Not going to give any hints of anything, but it'll be a uh, interesting topic. Do I know what it is? I don't know, do you? Oh, we've talked about a few. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you kind of had a hint at mine. Once we sign off, I want a hint. Because I, okay. I was doing a part two, so I deserve it. <laughs> Just check the calendar. Oh, right. We have that now. <laughs> we're, we're official. We're we're getting more. <laughs>
professional as we go, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're not just two two hicks, you know. We're running a podcast. We're running a business. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good night, everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>